Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you joined us today. City Lab, a summit organized by the Atlantic Magazine, the Aspen Institute, and Bloomberg Philanthropies, is in Detroit this week, and it has brought mayors and other officials from around the globe to talk about urban issues and city development. One of the attendees is Amy Liu, and she is the vice president of the Brookings Institution and director of its Metropolitan Policy Program. Her discussion at the conference was called, How Far Should Cities Go to Woo Big Employers? I'm very happy to welcome Amy Liu of the Brookings Institution to Detroit Today. It's great to see you here in Detroit. Good morning, Stephen. Yes. Normally, we are talking to you from Washington, so uh, it's really exciting to have you here in studio. Uh, let's start with uh, this this recent, uh, this recent article that uh, you wrote. Um, about about the limits of city power in the age of Trump. It's something that I hadn't given a lot of thought to until I saw what you wrote. Talk about what those limits look like. Well, first of all, there is definitely a lot of positive energy and resurgence in cities today. And people feel really confident and optimistic about the problem solving that's been happening in cities. But what I wrote about is that is it possible for city boosterism to go too far? And that is because um, there are limits to what they can get done. And in an age of Trump, um, with a lot of what you see is, it's hard to, to address the issues of crackdown on immigration, um, cutbacks on uh, 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 investments in trade and tariff of tariff war, it's hard to address those things that matter to cities uh, by through just local action. And so what it reminds you is that federal policies do matter. And when we say um, that this is the age of cities, are we also saying that we're going to let our federal and state governments off the hook? And I find that to be really risky. And, and so one of the things that that popped into my head as I was reading the article is how robustly involved the Obama administration was in domestic policy and and things that affected cities. I mean, there were lots of particular things to that administration, in fact, that focused on places like Detroit and the problems that we face. Is it that that you have no hope that the Trump administration will continue those, or is your fear that they will do things proactively that roll back some of the things that the Obama administration and administrations before actually did to help cities? Well, right now, the Trump administration doesn't have a pro-urban agenda. Um, And in fact, um, they don't really have a um, pro-jobs agenda outside of some tax cuts. And what we need in a modern era, what we hear from mayors and their local partners, business leaders and universities, is how do we help our workers and our industries adapt to the demands of the global and the tech economy? So what we really need to have in a national conversation is about skills and apprenticeships and supporting community colleges and R&D investments. Those are not the kind of conversations we're having at the national level. So instead, we're rolling back policies. We're rolling back global engagement. We're rolling back uh, against the diversity of our workforce. 
which should be a competitive advantage. Right. Uh, in, in the article, you say uh, city boosterism can go too far. Urging city leaders to go it alone celebrates a deep dysfunction in federalism, and it normalizes a self-destructive shift in politics and governance. What do you imagine are the worst-case scenario consequences for cities under under that scenario? What are the things that we would see either go away that are happening now or things that we should be seeing develop in cities just not materialize? Again, I I believe in cities, right? That's what I wrote in the piece. I We work with city leaders. We want them to succeed. The extreme scenario, however, is that we expect cities to take care of all of our problems, that, that the, so, the social safety net now passes down to local levels, to local leaders, that providing health care insurance gets brought down to the level, local level. In fact, that if cities really can do it alone and cities are where the action is, what we're hearing from the federal rhetoric is, well, cities are better suited to solve these problems anyway, so we're going to pass the buck to you and in the meantime, we're going to give you no resources to do it. And what we know is cities are um, hamstrung by their property tax or by their tax base, um, by the need to balance their budgets, and by the authorities that are given to them by their states. And so we can't have cities take on the full burden of all of our economic and social challenges. What they need for cities to succeed is to have federal and state governments be partners in their success. And so that's the narrative that we need to have. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Amy Liu. She's a vice president at the Brookings Institution and director of its Metropolitan Policy Program. Uh, she is in town as part of City Lab, which is a summit that brings people from all over the globe together each year uh, to talk about cities and urban issues and development. This year, they are in Detroit. This week, they are in Detroit uh, talking about these things. Uh, we are talking about the future of cities and uh, how the Trump administration in particular is going to handle some of the issues that cities face? Is it going to play the role that the federal government should play in those conversations and in those issues? Or is it going to withdraw because it doesn't see value in those kinds of propositions? Uh, we're also going to talk about uh, the panel that Amy Liu was on uh, that uh, talked about how employers uh, are wooed to big cities like Detroit and what cities do to get them to locate in the, within their borders. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. 313-577-1019. Do you worry about the fate of cities under the Trump administration? Do you worry about the things that we saw happen here during the Obama administration, for instance, not repeating themselves uh, while Donald Trump is president. And what do you think the consequences of that might be? A withdrawal of the federal government from its important role in helping cities find their place uh, in the world. Uh, 313-577-1019 is always the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we will try to work you into the conversation. Uh, Amy, uh, your panel was about this idea of wooing big employers to cities. We have a little bit of experience with that here in Detroit, a little recent experience in that uh, we 
put all of it out there, I feel like, to try to get Amazon to locate its second headquarters here. Uh, we didn't do horribly in, in the contest, I think, but uh, we sure did not do as well as some other cities. Uh, is that the kind of thing you're thinking of when we talk about wooing big employers and the kinds of things that cities roll out as a way to say, hey, uh, you really ought to be here? Well, first of all, I don't think Detroit should see the um, Amazon process as a setback for them. I think it's created a really great conversation about what are the things that really matter um, for Detroit to be a place that's going to be a home to knowledge workers and knowledge firms. And so there's been a rejuvenated conversation about the importance of transit, uh, about importance of a skilled workforce. Um, so those are so I would say this is a great moment for Detroit to learn from that exercise. The broader message is that wooing employers is not the primary way jobs are created in our cities. Mm -hmm. And so what is disappointing to me is that the HQ2 sweepstakes has sent the wrong signal to our economic development and community and the elected officials. The real way jobs are created is through helping existing companies expand and supporting entrepreneurs. 87% um, of a state's jobs comes from those local assets in our community. So let's double down on our existing workers and our existing companies and not just focus on, boy, who else should we be getting into our market? Is it an either or, though? I mean, shouldn't cities be trying to do both? I mean, I've had a lot of conversations with folks in the city before about the idea that if we had another big employer here in the city and and somebody who just came from nowhere and, and located a headquarters or a second headquarters or something here, it would solve a lot of it would solve a lot of problems. Does that necessarily eclipse the work that you can also be doing to try to say, well, we've got businesses here who could expand, who could grow and hire more people. Is there a natural tension between those two things? It's about the amount of emphasis we put on business attraction. Business attraction will always be part of our economic development toolkit. Um, if a city is really vibrant and has all of the assets that a company wants, people will want to move here anyway, and um, business attraction only becomes part of um, building out what you already have in the ecosystem here. My concern is if you don't invest in an innovation culture, in a multimodal transportation network, in the ability to produce really skilled workers through your K through 12 education, community college, and higher ed. If you don't do those things, you could woo a company. They take the tax incentive. <laughs> and when those tax incentives expire, they're going to leave the market because the fundamentals are not in your town. So what I would say is put greater emphasis on investing in the assets of your core community and um, and then the attraction thing will be even more lasting. Yeah. It's interesting the idea that, that if you don't have those fundamentals, you can attract somebody and not keep them. I wonder if uh, there are a lot of folks who think that, that it could have been kind of a uh, – an unintended curse if we'd gotten the Amazon uh, HQ2 because we haven't focused on enough of the fundamentals. 
But there's other people who say, well, landing something like Amazon would have helped us fix those fundamentals, right? So if you talk about mass transit and the, the 40 years we've struggled to actually build usable transit for people here, if Amazon had come here, wouldn't they have pushed and and framed the conversation in a way and maybe provided some money to be able to fix that problem? When I think about um, the cities that are on the short list for HQ2, the cities that sort of have the same history as Detroit, um, like in Indianapolis, older industrial city in the heartland. Um, and I think about their decades of work together as a community. That is a community that didn't wake up thinking, I've got to land the next big manufacturing plant or company. That is a community, a business civic philanthropic community that came together and said, we need to figure out how we build out our own life sciences ecosystem within our um, economy, just like the mobility tech that's happening here. They've worked really hard together to pass a mass transit ballot referendum. And they have a skilled workforce strategy underway. And I think because of all of that ability to work together in the community, Salesforce is really proud now to have located in Indianapolis. And, in, and then they said, you know what, we're going to put a down payment and we're going to create an apprenticeship program with you. And that kind of civic partnership around the fundamentals is what makes being in Indianapolis such an exciting place. And I think that is the promise in Detroit, too. Hmm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Fernando in Detroit. Fernando, what's on your mind? Yeah. Yes, how are you doing? you got a great program today. Thank you. Yes. Um, my comments are uh, I, I can buy into what you're saying about education and the skill sets, but I'm wondering why the uh, voters today or the co- the continents of the people are not more involved in uplifting people, investing money in skilled trades, uh, making sure that people can get a four-year education and a two-year education, and why more people are not involved, and how do we, what do we do to get them involved? Hmm. Great question, Fernando. I appreciate the call, uh, Amy Lou. How do we get people involved in these uh, in these questions? Well, Fernando, I'm glad you raised it. And one of the things I say to a lot of cities um, in the wake of Amazon HQ2 is I say, you know, Amazon wanted a community that could produce or produce 50,000 skilled technical workers over 10 years. So why doesn't a city come together and do that? How can we take the business civic philanthropic leadership and think about not just a classroom instruction here, a special boutique program over there, but really think about this at scale. I think people could get involved if the leadership made this a top priority, whether it's in Detroit or many cities around the country. That is the future. We are in a knowledge economy. Um, Companies, uh, both local and outside of the market, are looking for places with talent. The other reason why skills is so important is because we need the incomes of Detroiters to grow. Um, if we're going to have an economic renaissance here in this community, I want the longtime residents to be part of the economic renaissance. I want them to be able to um, 
earn enough from the new jobs being created so they can stay in their homes and stay in their neighborhoods. So the investment in people as part of our strategy is just really core. Mm. Uh, Fernando, again, thanks very much for the call. And the question, uh, let's go to Jim in Southfield. Jim, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, uh, good morning and thank you for having your guest on. I just want to say that I'm delighted to hear somebody finally talk about the benefits of community college education and apprenticeships. You know, we often hear in the national discussion, jobs are being exported due to, you know, whatever global competition, uh, automation, and we need more college degrees. Well, college degrees don't help people run automation equipment. They don't help build out the infrastructure, replace the lead pipes uh, that we have in the ground. We need people's skill sets of skill trades and apprenticeships to really help this country move forward. So I'm glad that uh, your guest has raised the subject. Hmm. Uh, Jim, I appreciate that that comment. Uh, you know, we still have this this push and pull, I think, on that issue uh, between people who say, listen, you've got to, even if you want to be someone who's got a skill that, that doesn't require a four-year degree, uh, there is this value in a liberal arts education and, and encouraging the curiosity, I guess, that, that, that comes along with that. Uh, and folks who say, look, we've got limited resources and a real employment need for people with skills that don't require that four-year degree, we really got to focus on, uh, on skilled trades and making that accessible to more people. I would also add that um, I'm glad your caller brought up automation. Um, In an age of automation, which is going to continue through the manufacturing sector and other service jobs, the workers that are going to be most resilient are the ones who are going to have basic knowledge of computers or um, computer technical tasks. And a lot of the job growth we're seeing is in mid-tech jobs. And a lot of that mid te- those mid-tech jobs, which are everything from policing to um, uh, healthcare, uh, you know, even office administrative assistants are using computer skills more every day. Those mid-tech jobs do not require someone to have uh, a four-year degree. So there is a lot of job opportunities in this uh, digital age if we are really intentional about providing our young people and adults with the skills and credentials to, to benefit from them. Mm-hmm. Jim, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Let's go to Rich, Rich in Detroit. Hey, Rich, how are you? Hello, Stephen. Hey. Um, I'm going to take a deep breath and <laughs> share a few thoughts, and I'll be very gentle. Go ahead. <laughs> we have been having this conversation exactly the way you're, as I hear your guest is sharing it since they talked about the Renaissance Center, since they talked about Pole Town, since they talked about the casinos. And the story goes on and on. And it goes on and on because what I do not hear from your speaker is what the significance is of the third digital revolution and the fourth industrial revolution and the need to create a post-industrial city. I'm putting out some big terms out there. Hmm. Because if we think the JOBs are coming back and that there will be the American dream, we're missing why Donald Trump is so successful. Because he said the American dream is dead. And it is dead. So the question is, how do you create a new dream rather than one based on this 
this this this concept that the past is going to come back. Uh, Rich, I think that's a really that's a really interesting way to to, to go at this. I, I guess before I ask Amy to address it, I would turn it a little bit back on you. What what do you think is the way to create opportunity in this in this newly created landscape that's that's shaped by technology more than than the past one? I think that it's critical that we embrace the apprenticeship programs as being put forward both for the traditional apprenticeship programs or as well as the more creative ones happening like at Insight Focus, which is about makerspaces and the Fab Lab and the Fab City movement with a commitment that the Fab City movement has as a vision around the world that 50% of everything that's produced and used is produced locally because there's also an environmental crisis that has to be adjusted to. So I think the work that gets created is how do we build community and how do we involve young people in the rebuilding of that through learning the skills. So if we're having a park, a new park down down on the West West River, make sure that the young people are getting the skills now to build that park, to build those benches, to build those those the, the, the sound system that needs to go in there to not use light bulb systems and lighting systems like Duggan has used of bringing in just useless systems from another multinational corporation. Mm. We have to go to solar. We have to go to um, um, windmills. We have to generate energy differently. We have to be off the grid. We have to get... Stop waste believing the energy companies are going to keep providing for us. (laughs) Rich, I... I, I don't mean to cut you off, but but uh, I, I get what what you're saying. I think it's a really important point. I want to give Amy Lou a, a chance to uh, to respond to that. Well, your caller raised the topic that we all need to be having as a country, and all we need to be having locally, um, which is how do we take advantage of the new forces of technology so that it can create new opportunities for all Americans uh, and expand the middle class. And I have faith that in the history of American innovation, uh, which Detroit has always been at the center of, um, we have found a way to use disruption to create opportunity. And so what I would say is we are at this um, inflection point about how. Um, And there are one positive news is that in the midst of all this technological growth is we still have net job growth. So we are not, we're seeing more creation than destruction. Right. The challenge is that the jobs that are being created are mostly low wage jobs and high wage jobs, hollowing out the middle and therefore hollowing out the ability to create a robust middle class. We do need to have a conversation about uh, not just advanced manufacturing, but advanced services. 90% of our jobs are in services. And so how do we create uh, real pathways, real um, uh, did, uh, technological adoption and skills creation uh, in the really broad uh, services sector of our economy? A lot of the things that are built, you talked about makerspaces, um, you know, the manufacturing sector will still be very important here but they are all being fed by technological solutions, business solutions, uh, new apps. Um, and so we, so there's a lot of opportunity, if we, again, if we go back to the things you talked about, apprenticeships, skills, training, uh, to take advantage. 
Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Amy Liu. Uh, stay with us, and stay with us on the phones. Joyce in Detroit, Paul in Pontiac, Andy on I-696. We'll get to you next. Also remember that if you have to miss any of today's show, you don't have to miss out on the conversation. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts, download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you and listen when you are ready. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, thanks for joining us. My guest is Amy Liu. She's the vice president at the Brookings Institution and director of its Metropolitan Policy Program. She's in town for City Lab this week, which has brought mayors and other folks from all over the globe here to Detroit to talk about cities and their future. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Amy, before I get back to the phones, uh, I, I want to talk a little about uh, – a little more about the tensions between the current administration and and cities and the what you see as the 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 thing that cities represent yeah. right now and how that clashes with some of the things we hear from the white house i was just thinking um about the great questions from your callers and uh what cities stand for you know cities stand for hope and possibility they also stand for the values of diversity and think about the reflection that's going on today in Pittsburgh. And so that's what makes cities so exciting. We have a national rhetoric right now that is anti-diversity, that is almost limiting opportunity, uh, not engaging on the themes that we're talking about. So if there was a tension between the, the Trump administration and its language and cities, versus small towns, it is the fact that we, there seems to be a big gulf in the values of what we stand for. And how do you bridge that gulf, not just now, but in the future? I mean, Donald Trump will not be president forever. That's not the way things work here in America. But after he leaves, is it possible to sort of rein things back into the realm of celebrating the things that you think cities represent here? When I think about the work we do with cities and metro area leaders, um, I think about the fact that um, we constantly, local leaders are constantly bridging differences to solve problems. Um, and despite the national rhetoric, we think about, we embrace each other as citizens. We, um, we want, we care about the same economic issues. And so the question is, how do we hold on to that? Um, we as day-to-day citizens um, to find what is common in us and what unifies us versus constantly standing on what divides us. Mm-hmm. And so I just want us as individual uh, citizen and actors in the democracy to hold on to that unity. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Joyce in Detroit. Joyce, welcome to Detroit today. Thank you. What, what about... As we look ahead 
uh, to the careers of the future, the immediate future and the long-term future, the factor of artificial intelligence and um, then, you know, she mentioned the service sector. Will artificial intelligence encroach on that? And also, I think most people want more high-paying jobs, you know, like in more maybe in the middle class um, range. But then doesn't that mean that we'll all be paying higher prices for, for things? Mm-hmm. Joyce, uh, great questions. Amy Lou, what about artificial intelligence and the disruption that it might cause in the employment markets that, that, that you're talking about the need to, to, to fortify? Well, I think that everything from policing to responding to emergency calls to um, how we deliver health care, all of those things are now being formed by big data, um, machine learning, and other algorithms that could be included as part of artificial intelligence. And so it, in general, these new technologies improve our ability to solve really big societal challenges. Um, the issue here is what are the jobs that are associated with that? In fact, what we're, what history and what the literature has taught us is that we, those new technologies might replace certain tasks, but they do then require or supplement human, <laughs> human <laughs> intelligence um, to design those solutions, to figure out the algorithms. In fact, in f- what we see more is um, complexity is what drives solutions today in the workplace, and complexity requires teamwork, um, multidimensional thinking, and so we need, we need actually, we need more humans. Um, so it, it does go back to, you know, what kind of curriculum are we putting in our schools? Uh, what kind of um, mentoring and um, uh, adult social networks and professional networks are we providing our young people so they have exposure to some of those important analytic soft skills, including the, the harder skills? Mm-hmm. Joyce, thanks very much uh, for the call. And the questions, let's go to Andy. Andy on I-696. Welcome to the well, show. I'm on, Van, I'm on Van Dyke now. Ah, now you're on Van but, Dyke. Okay. <laughs> but um, so yesterday I attended, Governor Snyder did, has, since 2011, he's done a uh, cybersecurity conference at Kobo. Uh, very informative for what I do, IT security. Um, I sat at a table with a friend who was mentoring high school kids they were part of a competition for a capture the flag exercise and hacking. Hmm. They, uh, every high school kid that was there, there's probably at least a hundred or two or two. They all received a $3,000 scholarship to take a security plus for training and to take a security plus certification. Um, if you have your security plus certification, you can basically get an entry level job as in it security. That's the big thing right now is they keep saying that there's a lack of IT security people, but uh, millions of jobs available now, and just nobody has the skills. Right. Uh, uh, Andy, oh. I, I really appreciate the call and, and that info. We've got about a minute left, Amy. I want to give you a chance to respond to what he's saying. 
I would just say that I'm glad you mentioned the importance of high schools. Um, we need to bring all of these training capabilities and exposures earlier into our education system. Okay. Amy Liu, Vice President at the Brookings Institution and Director of its Metropolitan Policy Program. Thanks very much for being here with us on Detroit Today. It's good to be with you. Up next, we're going to talk about the myths surrounding who's allowed to vote in the upcoming election. Stay with us on Detroit Today.